I'm Blake. And I'm Justin, and we're the hosts of the How Do You Figure podcast. Uh, today, we're here at Comic-Con at home to talk to you guys about the history of San Diego Comic-Con action figure exclusives. Uh, we got a lot of great guests from Mattel, Hasbro, NECA. Justin, what was your first San Diego Comic-Con exclusive that you got? The first action figure exclusive that I bought at Comic-Con was actually the first mainstream action figure exclusive that Comic-Con ever had. Uh, there were a few in the 90s from like smaller companies, but the first really big one was a uh, Jay and Silent Bob figure that was done by uh, Graffiti Designs. That They were mainly a t-shirt company before this. And the, the full figures weren't exclusive. They uh, had a, a regular release in comic shops but they made exclusive versions for San Diego Comic-Con that had more adult themes to them like they came with a bong and uh, I think maybe they said some dirty words I can't remember exactly but I just remember they were adult versions of what you were going to find in stores. Uh, Blake, do you remember what your first exclusive was? I do. It was in, I believe, 2013, and it was the Infinity Foam Gauntlet that also came with the 3.75-inch Thanos, Lady Death, Nebula, and Star Fox. And I remember it very well because I had been looking at it the entire time. It was my first Comic-Con, and I just thought it was going to be impossible. And on the last day, I just walked up to the booth and asked, and they had two left, and it was perfect. The first time I remember there being like a giant buzz around an action figure exclusive though would have been Kildor from Masters of the Universe. Uh, Kildor was the first time that a company had released a character exclusive at Comic-Con that had never been released before. Before Kildor, it was all repaints and extras and stuff like that, like the Jay and Silent Bob. But Kildor was the first thing where it's like, there's never been a Keldor before. It was a bit of a deep cut Masters of the Universe figure. He is Skeletor before he got his face melted off. Uh, I know people who have never bought a Masters of the Universe figure before or since that bought and still have that Keldor. Uh, it, it was the first time that an exclusive really like resonated, I feel like. And that was from Mattel. And speaking of Mattel, Blake, who was our first guest? First up, we have Bill McKenna, the brand manager and senior designer of Mattel's WWE line. Before we jump into the exclusives that you've worked on uh, for SDCC, I feel like you have a real special connection with San Diego Comic-Con because it's kind of where your career with Mattel started. Absolutely. In 2008, my friend who worked at Topps, he... Uh, he said if I could crash at his, I could crash at his, his uh, apartment, uh, not apartment, the uh, hotel room, if I could get tickets. And this was like two weeks out from San Diego Comic-Con. And this was like the last year before, you know, before it kind of got like, it was impossible to get tickets to Comic-Con. And so I was able to, to score uh, a Friday and a Sunday ticket. So I went and then on the Friday, I went by the Mattel booth to uh, get the, uh, the Lobo exclusive. Because Keith Giffen was going to be there signing, and Keith Giffen's one of my favorite comic book uh, both writer and artists. So I wanted to get the Lobo figure and get it signed. And while I was there, I saw like a big, um, big purple poster in their booth, you know, and it said "Help Wanted Ringside," and it said, "We're looking for a, a toy designer who has an encyclopedic knowledge of wrestling to work on our latest license." And I'm like, 
I think they're looking for me because I'm a toy designer and I know WWE backwards and forwards. Um, so I was like immediately like going to people. It's like, what do you know about this poster? Like, who do I talk to about this? Cause I think I'm your guy. Like who do you know? And I was like real excited. And then I, I found someone at the show and he told me who to get in contact with. So about a week later, after I got back from San Diego, I got in contact with Mattel uh, a few, um, like two weeks after that, I, they set up an interview. I flew out for the interview. And then two weeks after that, I was offered the job. And I've been there basically since the beginning. It really is kind of like, yeah. So, so San Diego Comic-Con has been very important in my, uh, my life and my career. So how long from you seeing that sign to you making your first Comic-Con exclusive? In terms of like, I think it was two years since I went to the show, it was released. So it was probably like, you know, maybe like a year and a few months and seeing the poster to working on the uh, next year's Comic-Con exclusive. Because I started there in October of 2008 and I probably would have been starting work on the figure, you know, the first one, which was The Undertaker in July or September of 2009. So yeah, a little under, a little bit over a year between going to Comic-Con to just as a fan to working on an exclusive for the, the con two years later. I feel like that Undertaker figure was an important figure for Mattel's WWE line as a whole. I know for myself, I have been collecting the Jax line for years. And when the license transferred from Jax to Mattel, I wasn't sure about investing money in another line. Uh, but I was at Comic-Con. I saw that Undertaker figure in person. And once I saw that in person, I was hooked. I picked up that figure. And then I went back to start uh, buying the ones I had missed. And as you can tell from behind me, uh, I've bought a lot of them. <laughs> Yeah, I did notice, so I do appreciate it. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's it was sort of a statement of intent because it was I was trying to think, like, what was a really cool figure that that Jax did that, you know, but, like, we, that we could do our version to show, like, like, the growth since, you know, they had the license, so to speak. Because, you know, I've been, you know, I, I try to, when I work on this, I want to add, you know, to, uh, I want to I design a figure based off of like everything that's come before me and what other companies have done uh, that I thought did really well and were successful. And, and, and to, you know, to sort of like uh, homogamate everything into like the best possible figure that I can do at that moment. And so I always loved that original Jax uh, Undertaker in that outfit. So when it came time to do Comic-Con, I'm like, what better statement of intent for our brand than our version of this already awesome figure you know, and hopefully we execute it in a way that is even better than basically one of the best Jack's executions that they, that they did. Last year, you guys really upped the game, uh, taking it to a whole level. I got him right here, the Slim Jim Macho Man. Uh, I feel like this really won Comic-Con last year. How uh, I've heard that too. I, I also about? noticed that, uh, I don't know if you went by the Hasbro display case last year. They actually, uh, in their big Marvel uh, super displays, their ginormous uh, uh, dioramas, which are always like mind blowing every year for all the little Easter eggs that they put in there. One of the Easter eggs was Deadpool dressed up as the Slim Jim Macho Man. And, and, and obviously, oh, they, yeah, obviously they did that like 
they didn't do that in advance. Like they did that uh, sort of on the fly, you know, sort of like, you know, maybe game recognizing game or something. It's always, I mean, it was really cool to see that. Cause it's like, it's almost like, you know, you get together every year and you see what they're doing. It's like, God, they're doing such cool stuff. And, you know, and I know that they come by our booth and go, like, God, they're doing such cool stuff. It's like cool to have like, you know, like a little kitty corner and mutual admiration society. Like, I can't wait yeah. to see what they're doing this year. Where did the uh, idea for Slim Jim Macho come from? It's something that we all, I've always wanted to do just because it's so iconic, but just trying to figure out like where's the best place to put it in the line. Because um, it was not, you know, obviously because of the, uh, the soft goods and the, the deco, it's not something that we could easily slip into, uh, you know, the, the regular elite line. And at the time, like the, uh, between entrance grades and defining moments, it was kind of a transition. So it really wasn't, there wasn't really a home for it. But when uh, there was a few years off where we really weren't doing uh, Comic-Con exclusives, and then we came back with uh, Shockmaster, and the next year we did Isaac Yankum, and they did well, but, they, I, but internally there was like a little bit of uh, maybe like, you know, how can we get a bigger statement, you know, than maybe sort of a wider, a wider net, so to speak. And then it became like, well, what, what, what do we do in WWE that sort of appeal to WWE, but also kind of transcends WWE to like a broader pop culture? For me, it was a perfect figure because I'm not a huge wrestling guy, but I am like the 90s kid on our show. Mm-hmm. And that was the perfect sort of gateway into that. I also just have a big like advertising, like nerd thing with any of those mascots and doing it. And hitting that is really the best way to go. You might not be a fan of this, but there was no way you didn't see this advertisement when it was on. And there's no way that it didn't blow your mind. Yeah. I think everyone walking the halls of Comic-Con at one point in their life has actually done the uh, step into a slim gym. Oh yeah. You know, just done like the macho man imitation. So creating a product to actually physically represent that, you know, when it came up for discussions, like this is far and away, like the winner in terms of like, this has to be our exclusive for 2019. And then being able to, to execute it and pull it off, and, you know, at the level we were able to is, uh, it's really cool to be a part of something like that, if I'm, if I'm being honest, just knowing that I'm, I played a big part in bringing that to reality. To make sure I got this, I uh, had to get myself a uh, vendor's badge so I could get into <laughs> Comic-Con before it opened. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, I, I feel like that's the most hoops I've ever jumped through, but there was no way I was going to live a life without owning this. Yeah, we actually put it up for pre-sale on Entertainment Earth, and we expected it to sell out by the time Comic-Con came around, but it sold out in like an hour. And this was not, you know, I know the numbers, and it was like, we've never had anything sell like this quickly, this much. Uh, so we were almost, you know, pretty taken aback by that. And then every day at the show, it was the first item to sell out from the Mattel booth, you know, every day. And that's never happened before for the WWE exclusives. I, you know, so obviously last year we hit the sweet spot and then, you know, how do we, how do we follow it up this year? So then how far back do you start thinking about the exclusives for the next year or the year after? Because you're right, that is a high bar to climb. And it feels like it's the kind of thing where as you're celebrating the release of one figure in the back of your mind, you're probably already sketching out ideas for what's going to be next. Oh, definitely. Yeah. You look and you can look around, even just looking at other, other companies exclusives too, and just figuring out like what worked for them. Like, you know, are single figures better than like a multi-pack, you know, is it better to do a, you know, obviously for us, um, 
a narrow focus on uh, like sort of like a comedy character was didn't have the broad appeal of like a pop culture you know execution which which is some Jim Macho Man was so you know and then then trying to figure out okay if we're gonna follow up that like if those are the parameters like what else exists out you know out there that's big enough to get people as enthusiastic as they were uh, last year. Yeah, speaking of being enthusiastic, one of my favorite parts of Comic-Con every year, and probably the thing I may miss the most this year, is being in that room with you guys when you do the reveals every year. Uh, it's so exciting to have this giant room full of fans all waiting to see what you guys have planned for the following year. It's, uh, yeah, it's something that I feel like you can't replicate over video like this. So how has Comic-Con moving at home affected Mattel's plans for rolling out and advertising the next year's line? It's, I mean, if you were familiar with what we did with uh, the, uh, the reveals at um, WrestleMania that for Access, we did like a virtual Access reveal so we're probably gonna be doing something similar to that where we show uh new uh reveals of figures that we're working on you know try to populate with a lot of you know new new talent that hasn't had a figure before because that seems to get the uh the loudest response um i mean i I, it is a it is like a like a visceral thrill being in you know that that room and because we have you know actual wwe talent we get a larger room than a lot of the other toy panels so i'm kind of lucky in that regard to have you know that many people, uh, you know, staring out at like a huge sea of people and they're all super excited. And, you know, you know, some of that you know, is about the figures too. So, but, um, Oh yeah. yeah. I know I wouldn't be there. But <laughs> much as I love WWE, it's the figures yeah. that get me in that. I, just, I, 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 I don't, I don't pretend that entire crowd is for me, but it is like a nice to have, you know, that, a crowd that large, uh, in the room is like, uh, the audience when you, when you do the reveals and, uh, get the feedback and get the, uh, you know, the clapping and the applause and you get the, the question time and you get the questions from like, you know, why haven't you done this guy yet? Or when are you going to do this guy? It's like, you know, you do that part. I will miss, but you know, you know, that's, this is where we are in 2020. And I, I do appreciate the fact that we're able to do something like this where, you know, the, the experience isn't totally lost. We are, you know, trying to do something to, you know, to make up for the fact that we're not all gathering together on the third weekend in July. Well, Bill, I look forward to uh, seeing everything you guys have planned for next year. And thank you so much for joining us for Comic-Con at home. Thank you very much for having me. I really enjoyed this. And next up, we have Rocom, who's the designer for Razor Scooters and Hasbro, as well as creating his own vinyl toys and enamel pens for yesterdays. You have a history, of course, with Comic-Con exclusives. Uh, You've been in line buying them and you've been behind the scenes designing them uh do you want to start us off with a little bit of the history of like first exclusive you remember buying so my first exclusive was i think i think it was like a sound wave um like a masterpiece sound wave uh from hasbro that was through entertainment earth's booth because they they do that kind of big cube like on the side of the convention hall Uh, I remember being so hyped on that because I knew that finding one at Toys R Us wasn't going to happen. And so they had like, um, they had a set that they would sell on the floor that year. I think that was probably like 2012. 
maybe 2013. Um, I was really hyped on that. And then, but I remember the first time I was so like, I couldn't believe I got something was, uh, was preview night. I was actually able to get in the Hasbro line to get that um, Carbonite Boba Fett set that they did. Oh yeah. That was the the hardest thing to get. And I think I was number 12 in line or something. So that was, that was really fun. Um, Yeah. Preview night has kind of become the night for getting the exclusives now. I feel like that's, my main thing every preview night is getting in there, buying what I want and getting back to the hotel. Yeah. There's like this sense of relief, like that you just want to make the rest of your weekend, not worrying about getting stuff that, that you want on your list. And uh, the more, lo- the more like tick marks you get off your list on Wednesday, you're like, Oh, that's how much like more space I have to, to relax and not sweat uh, picking stuff up. And uh, incredible first exclusive i think do you remember though the first exclusive that you actually got to work on yeah so i mean for for exclusives where i actually designed something that was on the floor or or that was even um something i feel like people wanted was was two years ago now um so it hasn't been that long of designing the stuff but um uh razor scooters had worked with uh with hasbro to do a promo, not a promo item, but an, a San Diego exclusive uh, Bumblebee scooter. So the movie was coming out. You know, I think so many of us had been exhausted by by Michael Bay Transformers movies, and this one was um, was done by an animation film director. Bumblebee was, and it was, I loved it. Like when it finally, when the movie finally came out, like it's such a focused story, and like um, it's it's really funny, and it kind of it brings back those good elements that were in the first film, um, but even more focused and having that uh, backdrop of like a 1980s film was so great. And so um, loving Transformers, um, uh, getting to do the Bumblebee scooter for Hasbro like two years ago was great. So that was 2018 was the exclusive. Um, And that did so well. Uh, I think it sold out within hours of Friday, I think. Or no, thir- maybe even Thursday. So preview night, and then and then two hours into Thursday, I think it sold out. Um, and that was kind of an experiment at first, right? I don't think Hasbro had ever really done anything like that as an exclusive. Yeah, and I mean, not even just from the from the point of view of that it's a, a scooter, but the fact that Hasbro worked with another toy company to make an exclusive, because Hasbro's a beast. Like you know, they can make a scooter, they can do whatever, but they came to Razor wanting to get that classic name and make something so nostalgic um, and kind of put that, put that Transformers uh, brand on it and spin on it. So as a, as a collaboration over two companies um, to kind of make something special, that was probably the first time Hasbro's done that. Cause they, you know, they own so many brand names, uh, you know, from GI Joe, Transformers, um, My Little Pony. And so, it was it was cool for them to know that like when it comes to ride on toys that oh let's go to the guys that do that best you know let's make something good instead of just something that's a thing um and uh so because of the success of that last year we did um the mighty morphin power rangers green ranger scooter uh that was really fun to do as well and it's cool how hasbro is so uh open to to design input and like I think it's also knowing the brands really well. Like I knew Transformers so well that 
when I designed for that project, like they were just like, yep, it's good to go pretty much, you know, it was like legal lines and it was done. Um, and I feel like Green Ranger was similar. I like that idea too, because you hit such a perfect Venn diagram of nostalgia and wants and needs between brands and ride on figures. So much of my childhood was embedded in both of those two properties and in the, I don't know if I want to call it a scooter phenomenon, but there was a weird point where that scooter was just the talk of the town and it was everywhere. And it was the big Christmas gift, which is a weird gift to have in winter in Chicago because you won't be able to use it for seven months, (laughs) but it's just such a cool idea. Uh, Do you think when you're kind of merging two brands like that, are there any unique challenges you get in the design, whether it's how it should artistically look and feel or how the brand kind of coalesces with the ride on toy or anything else? It's really all we have, right, is what it's going to look like. Uh, The scooter isn't going to change too much from having two wheels, a deck and like a T-bar, right? So, so it's, it's that challenge of like, how do you take something that is already so much itself and make it represent another brand? So with that, it's always logos, colors. And so in the toy industry, there's something called label slapping. It's where you take the product and it's like throw the transformers like label on it and you're done. But this one, um, you know, and, and it's something you look at, you kind of look down on. It's like, oh, label slap, you know, it's like getting a cup. They put a label on it and mark up the price. It's the orange um, that had the Star Wars branding on it for the movie and the Kroger's. That's exactly, that's like the most literal label slap item, you know, you could think of. Uh, so for my approach to this stuff is always like start with the key colors of something and and all characters for most brands have these specific colors they use to represent it. And so, you know, I wanted that scooter just to be fully that bumblebee yellow, uh, incorporate, you know, lots of black details, like the extending uh, T-bar on scooters are usually that shiny, like aluminum silver color. And I think we, yeah, for that one, we made it matte black. So like it was a matte black T-bar. And then there's all these uh, kind of matte black accents to kind of represent the wheels and just like, when Bumblebee transforms those, those little black segments separating the yellow. Um, and then uh, I wanted to keep the, the deck tape so simple. So we matched the yellow and did the, the old school um, Autobot logo. And that was it. Um, no, I think for San Diego, actually it had the, the hood design, which is interesting. Like for Bumblebee being like a Volkswagen bug, there's, uh, there was like these cool streamlines that go over the hood and then kind of meet at the, the Autobot emblem. So we, we move those in and it's really just trying to look at the source material of the character and be like, what are some striking things that we could pull from here and then place onto the, onto the item. Did they start out as Comic-Con exclusives? How does that process work? There's no better place to sell out of something than, than Comic-Con. And so instead of just dropping in a Target or Walmart or something, um, you know, I worked on a Spider-Man line that was huge when uh, when Homecoming came out, and that was in Walmart's, and um, and it just di- it didn't go. Like the the stuff looked so good; it was those some of the coolest stuff I'd ever designed. But um, not having the right eyes on it, you know, will will make something just disappear. I'm sure you guys have seen toys where you're like, "When did this come out? How did I miss this?" You know, 
And uh, but that doesn't happen at San Diego. You drop anything at San Diego, like so many people know right away. So uh, it was something we wanted from the get-go. And, and luckily Hasbro was down for that plan. Rokum, thank you for being here. Have a great uh, rest of the panel. Blake, who is our next guest? Next up, we have Randy Folk, the VP and General Manager of Production at NECA Toys. Randy, thank you for virtually being here for Comic-Con at Home. Uh, what is it like to not physically be in San Diego right now? First time for me in more than 20 years, I think 21 years straight. I spend that middle part of July in San Diego. It's the first time in, in over two decades that I am home. Uh, it's definitely weird. What year did you guys start doing exclusives at the San Diego Comic-Con? Um, I think it was 2003. I joined the company in 2002, and I believe our first – foray into exclusives were 2003 or 2004 i think it was 2000 you know it might have been 2004 somewhere around there it's it's all a blur at this point but it was uh it was back then and it was uh hellraiser we did like a chrome uh like silver pewter finished pinhead uh when we were riding high with hellraiser that was our first really big line and horror license that put us on the map and that was probably our first san diego exclusive was the uh the pewter finished pinhead when i think of toy exclusives i always think about you guys and i always think about your presence there uh right there in the middle of the convention center yeah like, you know exactly where to go every year yeah we we're fortunate to have prime real estate every year we're more or less the same spot when uh kind of right behind what used to be Hasbro toy shop. And then now I guess it's would be pulse, but we're always like right behind Hasbro. So it's right in the center in the thick of things. And uh, I guess over the last 10 years, we've really built a good um, reputation for having some attention, getting exclusives that are outside the box. Like uh, when we did the eight uh, bit inspired uh, NES Jason several years back, that was oh, yeah. a a big hit with the theme music and all that and uh um uh, we've done some amazing stuff with ninja turtles over the last several years um so it's always it's always fun to come up with something new that's going to get people to you know line up and be one of their first destinations on preview night and stuff like that it's one of the most fun things is just kind of the running of the bulls you know just watching them storm into the, when they open those gates and everyone lines up to buy it's it's pretty uh, it's pretty intense I, the way i understand it is that for a while you guys couldn't have had these turtles in stores comic-con was kind of one of the only outlets to sell them and yeah. to me that just makes it even more special yeah absolutely so for for a number of years due to licensing restrictions and so forth we pretty much only had one or two opportunities to release a turtle item each year. And those, uh, you know, those were around the two big cons, either San Diego or New York. And that was it. We had no additional avenues for distribution because we couldn't sell to uh, brick and mortar and couldn't be at um, like Toys R Us, for example, when they were still around, we, we weren't allowed to sell in just, uh, you know, like I said, due to licensing restrictions and, um, you know, what Playmates has been uh, the Turtles partner as far as toys are concerned since, you know, day one. So there's like a 30 plus year history there. So we 
we're always, uh, you know, we'd fall in line wherever we could and do what the best we could with the parameters we had. And uh, fortunately, we've built up such a big collector following with what we've done at San Diego every year for the last three or four years. Um, really targeting the collector and the 30 plus year old that grew up with the Fred Wolf cartoon or the 1990 films um, that now it's opened up and like the foundation we built at San Diego has now become really two separate successful lines in a mass retailer. We have a cartoon series that started last fall at uh, target in the form of two packs, which has done really well. And then uh, starting this summer, we have a movie based line uh, also in the form of two packs uh, that's at Walmart. So it really was grassroots and grew out of what we did at San Diego each year. And there you're only doing a, a small number uh, of sets, relatively speaking, you know, maybe 7,000, 8,000 sets or something at a con um, to now go much broader and much wider to, to everybody, you know, open it wide up. Uh, and that, that's exciting because the collection's grown and now it's letting us do more secondary characters, tertiary characters, reaching out to talent that we didn't have likeness rights for to try to bring them into the fold and, uh, you know, really go deeper and build out that whole universe where you're getting 15, 20, 30 characters now in the line. It's really become a, a cohesive collection, you know, which is great for us because we want it to build. You want to build that universe, you know, it goes way beyond the four turtles. You want to have all the bad guys and all the supporting characters and, that's the gratifying thing to see how it's really blown up in the last few years. And so you mentioned kind of the collector community and building and fostering that. I was curious because you guys have built such an incredible and positive community around toy collecting, toy making, the photography and everything through social media, through the booth. I mean, even just going to see you guys at Comic-Con is part of the fun because everyone's nice and good to be around. Uh, how have you kind of managed to foster that kind of positivity and has that changed at all with exclusives or with properties or anything else? Um, well, I think fostering that sort of attitude or approach, I think is important and something that for us, the way we look at it and even from the very beginning when we're designing or concepting something is that it should be fun. Like they're toys the fundamental rule inherent is it should be fun. Like, yes, we want to make it super detailed and articulated and tons of accessories and everything that the sophisticated like collector wants, but it should still be fun, fun to play with, fun to pose, the way it's packaged, everything should evoke some sort of feeling of fun or nostalgia or that just makes you smile or makes you happy when you look at it. And we take the same approach with the community. There's so much, as we all know, especially this year, uh, more than ever before. There's so much uh, negativity and problems in the world, whether it's politically or the COVID virus or the racism. I mean, it, you pick, <laughs> there's so many things to choose from that uh, we don't get into that and, and nor should we on a toy platform or here. Uh, toys are an escape, just like going to a movie or playing a video game when you get that Ninja Turtle or that Gremlin, it takes you back to when you were like eight or nine or 10 and saw that movie or had those toys when you were a kid. And that's what it, that's what it should be. And that's what we try to celebrate most of all. Um, 
there is always backlash or uh, sour grapes from people who miss an exclusive or can't get an exclusive. And we've certainly done what we can over the number of years, like to uh, do pre-order flash sales for non-attendees and then they get the product shipped after the event. And we've tried to make it as fair and as level a playing field as possible. Um, I sympathize. I'm there at the event every year, but I collect a lot of toys myself from other makers and manufacturers and I'm working the booth. So it's not like I can go stand on lines or enter these lotteries that some of them make you do to get a chance to buy the exclusive. So I understand and, and, and empathetic. Um, the good thing is also we find a way to get some of the stuff back out there. Like maybe it's packaged differently. Like last year we had that capture of splinter which is in a four pack and we had splinter in the shackles and so forth. You can still get the Splinter figure. You know, we brought him back out to GameStop. And so it's not like your collection's missing it. It's just more in the way it was presented. Or maybe there's a couple extra accessories that were only in the San Diego iteration. But ultimately, we don't want people to get frustrated. We don't want them to leave the line. We want them to feel loyal and included and collect everything. Um, but exclusives are a necessary evil, if that's the way you want to look at it, to those who miss out. But it costs a hell of a lot of money to do a con, to pay for the booth, to fly everyone out there. You got travel, accommodations. It's a, a big marketing expense. Uh, doing the cons helps, uh, doing the con exclusives helps offset that cost, you know. Um, and as you guys mentioned earlier, it started really to blow up in the early 2000s. And each year there's, you know, more and more exclusives. Some, some companies, I think, overdo it. Um, we try to keep it pretty tight. There's usually a handful. We usually have like five uh, core exclusives every year. And it's a little something from each verse. Cause we have, you know, our horror guys, our alien and predator guys, now our turtle guys. So um, we don't do multiple exclusives from each brand. It's usually one from each of our big, uh, you know, lines or licenses or big programs at the time. So this year we would, have had four exclusives as Gremlins, Alien, Predator, and Turtles. Um, and we are bringing those out through other means since there is no con. Um, but yeah, uh, and we try to message everything we can on social media and let the fans know when it's dropping, where they can get it, how they can get it, um, you know, make it as fair as possible. I love that you guys are doing a Gremlins exclusive this year. What, uh, why now for a Gremlins exclusive? Um, you know, Gremlins has been building for us. We've been doing it for a number of years. Um, for a while now, we've focused mainly on the original 84 film. And uh, this last year, maybe a year and a half ago, we got to dive into some of the Warner Brothers archives. They were doing a sort of retrospective about uh, that film being 35 years old last year. Um, and when we got access to some of the archives, we found some pretty amazing art uh, that existed from the advertising campaign. And back then, people who are younger now don't realize, but when there wasn't that quick turnaround cycle from movie to Blu-ray or on demand or Netflix or whatever, a movie would play in theaters for three months easily, sometimes six. Gremlins was around for, uh, I believe it came out in June, 84, and it played uh, well into the fall. It was still out around back to school, like September time. And then I think it got a re-release or another push again at Christmas because 
uh, it was still doing box office. And there was the fact that it kind of, even though it came out in summer, it took place at Christmas. So they had it basically playing in theaters for almost six months. Uh, and when they did that, there was a really beautiful art campaign um, that existed mostly in print media, the newspapers primarily back then, and some magazines um, with some really great art that I think people had forgotten about. And a lot of that art has inspired us with some of our unique figures that you'll see this year um, from an exclusive standpoint. They're not, they're not necessarily what would make sense in the main line, but they make perfect sense for something like a San Diego exclusive or a Target exclusive. Uh, so, so many uh, new people have discovered Gremlins thanks to Netflix or cable or the parents showing it to kids and it's sort of timeless. Um, and the figure sales that we've had in the last two years at Target um, and before that at Toys R Us have always been strong. So um, we've sculpted a whole bunch of new figures from Gremlins 2, the new batch. Uh, so we're going to start rolling those out into retail this fall. Outside of the exclusives, you guys probably had to switch up how you were rolling out like your announcements of new toys. I know about a month ago, you guys showed an amazing Richard Simpsons figure. I feel like that's something that you guys probably would have had at the con at the first time if it wasn't for COVID. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. Um, the con, since so many things got pushed out and COVID sort of shifted release schedules and production timelines and certainly affected manufacturing in China because China was hit first. Um, everything is sort of shifted by a month or two months. And uh, the Richard Simmons, which again, in figure form, that is fun. Like you can't look at that and not smile or laugh or remember uh, what an icon of television, uh, you know, and entertainment the man was throughout the 80s and probably into the early 90s as well. Um, but yeah, that would have been one of the big San Diego reveals normally. But since so many things have shifted and we have such a crowded uh, slate now that we're going to try using methods uh, such as Zoom and Facebook Live and Instagram, to sort of do a virtual con for our fan base and show new stuff each day, it made sense to get some of these other, um, I'd say less conventional um, personalities or licenses out ahead of the pack. Cause I don't want them getting lost in the shuffle. Everyone will go crazy over what we're doing with turtles or gremlins or alien or predator. Cause they're the heavy hitters. Um, and I wouldn't want something, uh, you know, like what we did last year with Bob Ross or this year with Richard Simmons, um, you know, to get lost in that shuffle. So it made sense to sort of get the word out a little bit earlier. And there's a few other things we may drop uh, along the way. And certainly more, uh, we're working well into next year. We're trying to recover from the delays of COVID and then get a further head start on what we're doing for 2021. And, and hoping that, you know, Toy Fair returns in February and that we're back together again next summer because, um, you know, it is a community and thank God for technology. We can connect like this and speak to our fans and speak to one another. Um, but face to face is important. I love seeing the smiles and seeing people taking pictures and, um, you know, lining up to buy the exclusives and asking to have their toys signed and stuff like that. It's, you know, it's, it's beyond gratifying and flattering. One of every the coolest year. things you guys did last year was doing the little sneak preview in the turtles to play of having the screen there flashing 
Like, yeah. I love that. Like, that makes it so fun to, like, just come and hang around the booth and wait for the images to change. It was great. Um, yeah, thank you. Speaking of Richard Simmons, have did you get to speak with him? Can you confirm he's okay? I know there were some rumors that he may have been kidnapped. I don't know. Can you confirm he's all right? Um, from what I know, I have not seen him firsthand. Uh, so interesting thing with that, we we acquired that license from a meeting that happened at Toy Fair in February. So it's relatively recent. Um, and then we developed uh, the prototype, I would say, during the month of March when things really started to, you know, uh, stay at home and quarantine and all that. And it was a really uh, welcome time to have something looking at those old YouTube videos and uh, sweating to the oldies and just thinking of the times that either Richard was on David Letterman or Richard uh, Howard Stern. It was levity that we all needed at the time from the whole team of people that work on this. We have someone who tailors the clothes. So she's doing the pattern making and cut and sew um, to the sculptor doing the portrait uh, to us figuring out how we're going to photograph him and pose him. So it was, it was a nice um, break and change of pace in terms of what was going on in the world to sort of remember uh, Richard Simmons and, and have some fun with that. Um, luckily everything was like smooth in terms of licensing and approvals. And from what I understand, he is okay, but I have yet to see him or meet him. I would certainly love to. I'd love to get one of the figures signed by him. I have a, a small collection of, you know, some personalities that we work with that I've gotten autographs from and those like kind of hang on the wall in my office. So I'd, I'd love to someday add that to, uh, you know, to the wall. My mom used to watch Richard Simmons when I was a little kid. And then, of course, I grew up loving David Letterman. He was always a frequent guest on there. So he's sort of a an icon of my childhood. I have my favorite NECA exclusive here, the uh, Bill and Ted oh, Death. Wow. I just want to thank you for making this. <laughs> this awesome. was years I dreamt of having a figure like this. That's cool. So, yeah, he's he's going to be in uh, Face the Music. He's back this year. Yeah. yeah. Which is really cool. And so that's a figure that we have not re-released. You only got him at San Diego. It was a very limited run and he was awesome uh william sadler's the actor who plays death and coincidentally i met him in a diner one night we just happened to go up to pay our bill at a little diner in upstate new york and he was there visiting family and it was just sheer coincidence super nice guy and uh, that was a really fun one to do and i believe when it released he uh he sent us some pictures of himself like holding the figure and everything like that and uh, again it's it's fun like who doesn't you know bill and ted fun movies and the idea that they're pounding around with death the grim reaper of all things is just uh, great and now who would have thought 30 years later he's back and we have another bill and ted movie well randy thank you so much for joining us for comic-con at home we really appreciate it uh we're gonna miss seeing you in person but we love seeing you over the zoom and we're looking forward to seeing all the things you guys are rolling out this weekend well, thank you for having me, and hopefully we will be uh, back together again uh, this time next year. Bill, Rokum, everybody, thank you for tuning in. Uh, Blake, where can they find us if they enjoyed this? Uh, well, they can find us everywhere podcasts are available, from iTunes to SoundCloud to Spotify to, I think, Google Play has just become Google Podcasts, but, you know, that's all fine. They can then find us on Twitter at PC. 
and they can leave us a very nice review and they can get kind of involved in our fun little toy community. And, you know, this was great. I know it's a shame that we don't have Comic-Con this year. I am often quoted as saying it's my four favorite days of the year. But as much as we're talking about kind of the con's history, I think it's kind of exciting to be a part of its history in this very weird, tumultuous time where we're kind of getting by and uh, bringing some of that to you, the viewer and the listener is also very exciting. It's weird and different, but we're making do. So I hope you guys had as much fun listening as we did creating this. And again, thank you to our incredible guests. And hey, everybody, enjoy the rest of your Comic-Con at home, and hopefully we'll see you all in person next year. Yes, and stay safe. It is still important to do that.